This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Coming up, readings beyond the raffle and Theoryland approved conjecture. Deep dive into the spells and scrolls of nerd culture. Absorb Stormlight. Home Sympathy. Arnas, Sayadar, and Sayadin. This is Phantology. You may have heard of us. What's up, followers of Shaiq and the Whirlwind? Guys, this is your host from Phantology, Stephen, along with my lifelong friends, Jake and Ryan. Guys, are we ready to do House of Chains by Stephen Erickson today? I am a little bit nervous uh, about this one. We will see how this goes. I was, uh, I was ready probably about two years ago. And as time has gone on, uh, my readiness has waned a little bit. As I've read other fantasy books, and so a little, uh, pa- little passive aggressive uh, frustration with us for taking so long to read nope, it, right? And not really, honestly. I mean, it, it it takes it takes a lot of energy. I feel like to get through these books. Yeah, I was ready about two months ago. Same thing. Now I'm halfway through uh, Midnight Tides. So wait, so is you finished Bone Hunters? Or wait, no, Midnight Tides is book five, and then Bone Hunters. I hope, yeah, I, I hope so. Yeah, <laughs> so, I think so. Yeah, not yeah, that it would really matter, honestly, right. with a lot of Malazan. <laughs> yeah, so I'm trying to trying to remember back to House of Chains and detangle knowledge that comes from Midnight Tides, although there's not a lot of overlap, so it shouldn't be too hard. And Ryan, you've read all of them, but like you say, this was some time ago. I just finished House of Chains about a month ago. And since then, I read uh, Brian McClellan's new book. So I just have one book to separate and it's not a Malazan book. So theoretically, I should have the freshest memory, but I guess we'll see how much I even understood the first time. Let's get to it. Yeah, well, wish us luck. All right. So uh, before we try to talk about uh, specific plot elements and characters and all that, what were your uh, general impressions of the fourth book? Karsa Orlong is, is overpowered. Karsa, yeah, especially when you realize when he's talking about slaying children, he just means humans, <laughs> like human adults. And you're like, oh, you are huge. <laughs> you are very overpowered. I think the timeline was a little confusing at first because most uh, the events of the book take place, I think, before or at least the beginning of, yeah. of this book takes place before the other, the first three books in Malazan definitely before house or uh dead house gates um which was kind of confusing because there's this book is essentially the sequel to dead house gates um and so as they start to like retrace the same places and steps it was kind of hard to to know at what point they were coming into that 
So I, I actually heard that this one was, he was going to, Steven Erickson was writing this book after Dead House Gates and uh, something happened to the manuscript or, or am I getting, oh, or yeah. am I getting this confused with memories of ice? I'm not, I definitely heard this story. I don't know what book it was, but yeah. So for, there was one book that Steven Erickson was working on and then like something happened to his manuscript and he lost like so much progress. I think he just got like so frustrated and decided oh. to uh, just work on the next book. Yeah. He essentially had to rewrite the whole book. <laughs> but wow. I have not heard that story. That'd be fun to ask you about that sometime. Although probably not a story he likes telling. <laughs> I wonder if, <laughs> I, I mean, I guess it would make sense at the beginning of this one because the beginning starts a little bit different than what we've seen from the first three books. So that could make some sense if he had a start and then he scrapped it and he wrote this start instead. Maybe um, speaking of the start, um, it's interesting. I loved uh, Memories of Ice so much. It just felt like the whole book, there was this sense of urgency and like build the whole time. Um, whereas the pacing here is very different. Uh, but I would say probably the the hardest part of reading a memory memories of ice and the other Malazan books before it is there's so many characters and point of view changes that you're you're like barely keeping up with what's happening in the present let alone like what's going to happen whereas starting I don't know if it's all of book one but like a large portion maybe like 15 to 20 percent of the beginning of the book is all through one point of view like one continuous chronological point of view which was really helpful mm-hmm. to get going and uh it's kind of disappointed i didn't get to see a lot of people from memories of ice when i first started but carsa's uh carsa's plot line was compelling enough and engaging enough with that continuous narrative that it was a really good start yeah it's all the first book the first book within the book is all of that continuous uh, narrative and I, yeah, I was also, confused. I didn't even know where we were for a while. I mean, you can refer to the map and realize, okay, you're, we're here on Northern Genebacus, which we haven't seen yet. And the only real touch points through the first book are like, okay, there's this reference to Akarium who we've seen before yeah, and the Salanda ship. And then finally, when they get over to the seven cities, it's like, you kind of settle in to the story a bit more. Uh, but, and then it's nice because once Carsa's story, well, once the beginning half of his story finishes, then you realize we've actually seen this guy before in Deadhouse Gates because he was uh, Tablaki and then that's how he's introduced throughout the remainder of the book. So I think the thing for me with House of Chains is the criticism that I, I mean, I, I feel like this is valid criticism. It's a personal criticism that I have is I feel like the story, the plot lines are like so separate because Jake, like you say in Memory of Ice, there are a lot of separate plot lines and storylines and it's hard to keep everyone straight. But that sense of like, we're all kind of working towards the same goal really helps you, even though there's so many different characters and everyone's got different motives and and it's all kind of secretive. And, and what you know, that's your typical Malazan story that we've seen so far. The thing that I struggled with within uh, House of Chains is at least on the surface level, the stories are really disconnected. People are scattered really just across the entire world that we've seen so far. And it doesn't seem that there are too many connections between them, unless you have a deeper understanding, 
which I don't really, but like reading some things online helps with that. Like it helps me appreciate it a bit more. So I think that's a valid criticism of like, this thing is so separated and it's just hard to follow. And really for that reason, through most of my read, I was like, yeah, this is not my favorite book. And I I think I liked the first three Malazan books better than this one. So I I feel like I've read books that are structured similarly, where you have plot lines that seem, you know, very different, but then in the end they come together. I can't think of any off the top of my head though. Uh, I think you're thinking of Seinfeld. You have the A plot. I'm definitely not thinking of Seinfeld. And the C plot. And then somehow they all interconnect at the end. Yeah. It's how most (laughs) Seinfeld episodes go. Yeah. The marine bio, the marine biologist one is the best. Oh yeah, of that that I can. Yeah, is that a titleist? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah I, I don't know. I think I. It's hard. I think the beginning of this book was really compelling, and then I liked the ending. And the middle part was just kind of like it did expand a lot, and it kind of slowed down a bit. Certain aspects of it I really liked. I liked learning more about like Hiboric and Loric, if I'm saying the name right. Both of their plots were cool. Bidithal was a very good villain. And I liked seeing how the crippled god played into this. It was it was cool after reading Memories of Ice and realizing, okay, the crippled god is this huge deal mm. in it continuing on into the next book. Whereas you didn't really get to see that with previous Malazan books. Like, I don't as even know. As far as you- like a, as far as an understanding of what the ultimate big bad because at this point in the series we feel like the crippled god is going to be yeah or even a, or even an antagonist that is like similar book to book you know mm. so that was cool i do think i think a, a little bit too much time was spent on uh on like just the armies waiting like tavora's army uh just kind of sitting there with strings like there's some cool parts there and i liked how uh tavora's old guard she made the uh the fist like his yeah internal gamut. struggle Ga- gamut gamut yeah like realizing like he's not trained for this you know and not um doesn't feel capable but i feel like that kind of dragged on a bit and then the uh the crocus and absalar plot line i kind of feel like that plot line was just like it could go in any book it was so separate yeah. you know then, like yeah yeah which i mean they like the Tisti Eater, Edor, however you say that, um, mm-hmm. like they play a part there and they're, they're a bigger part in Midnight Tides. So I appreciate that more now. Okay, but, so that's uh, kind of an introduction for you at least. Yeah, them and the introduction of Troll Singar, that kind of stuff, like at the time mm-hmm. was like, what's going on? Although the Troll storyline, you get to uh, know on rack, which then connects at the end. Mm-hmm. And you spend more time with them. Crocus and Absalar, or I guess Cutter and Absalar. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's not a whole lot of time spent there, but there seems like a lot happens that's like so separate than everything else. And then, yeah, yeah. like you say, really, what did they, yeah, what what exactly was the significance I mean, they, in this book? Yeah, and that's, that's the thing. I don't think themselves were insignificant. I really liked the, the, uh, developing dynamic between them how Cutter's like oh this is who Absalar is so I need to become like her because I love her I'm going to be an assassin you know she'll respect me and Absalar's mm-hmm. like this is the part about me that I hate and you're like committing to this 
like I thought that was good tension. So it's interesting because uh, having read Midnight Tides and further, like all of these parts that you guys are talking about, like I recognize how it's more important to the story as a whole. I mean, that doesn't necessarily like excuse it for if a reader feels like it's out of place. Um, But I mean, it's an interesting book because I feel like the Carso Orlong Shaikh whirlwind storyline is is kind of carried over from the dead house gates and so you're you're finishing up there as well as like you're developing Tavora's character and like the character of her army who you'll it'll be more important to see later on as well as like absolar and and cutter they're also important in in future books and that doesn't necessarily mean like it was done in the best way. I mean, I, I do agree with you in a lot of these, um, a lot of the like military fiction, like the nitty gritty and like, you know, these like just squads, they, they kind of blend together. I think that Erickson creates a lot of these characters who mm, yeah. in the military, like their names just, you know, start like start to go together in your head and, and it's really hard to keep them especially um, when characters get two names <laughs> as a series yeah, yeah. like strings yeah. and fiddler and, and fiddler and crocus yeah. and cutter yeah and, and so so it does for me i agree that those parts are are a little bit like harder to get through um but i do think that that is part of the appeal for some people like I, i've yeah, seen these sure. these um categorized as like military fiction and so i'm sure there are readers who love like the structure of the military and you know you have like you have your privates and your corporals taking orders from the sergeant and then you have like the people over them you know like up to the fist and um so i mean i i definitely think that that is appealing to some people although it might not be as appealing to me yeah and i don't i wasn't i mean i think definitely cutter and absolar deserve to be in this book based on it just being a sequel to uh dead house gates right but just plot wise they were probably the most disconnected and they came at a point where i mean i don't really remember exactly when they came in (laughs) but it seemed like the book started to slow down and then we're switching to them and then it never i never felt like it paid off in this book like why we're switching to them um it was cool to see cotillion more on screen and get a feel Mm -hmm. for his character it's interesting. I don't know. I don't know if just uh, Erickson is deciding to change people a bit as a, like the, like the series matures. But Shadow Throne, his instances on screen have seemed so chaotic up up until this book, like so chaotic and like kind of like Mad Mage vibes. Whereas Cotillion is much seems much more grounded in this book than I'm trying to remember if what we really saw of him like personality wise in the earlier books. I feel like he was more of a killer, like a cold blooded killer in earlier books, especially when he's like, he's like possessed Absalar and um, is, you know, she's just like, you know, killing people left and right. And everybody's afraid of her and in the bridge burners because, you know, she just, she's not like whatever a 16 year old girl's supposed to be it's more like this cold-blooded killer but as you like get to know cotillion a bit more you're right i think he does seem a bit more grounded and not not quite as cold-blooded maybe a bit warmer 
Well, that and also he seemed just like the I'm thinking of that first scene in uh, Gardens of the Moon where Cotillion and Shadow Throne like show up right before they possess Absalar. Um, they just seem kind of like mischievous, conniving like forces. Maybe that's just how I took it. And then Cotillion in this one just does not give off that vibe. And I don't know, it was cool to see. I felt like I got to know him as a character a lot better uh this time around which is fun i mean could it be just now you have more understanding of who the characters actually are could be that it could also be a new uh narrator right yeah which uh listening to the books that was kind of jarring at first i just gotta say i i cannot believe you guys remember as much as you do from listening because i i've tried listening i cannot keep things straight. And so I'm, I'm reading through these and I'm still struggling with so many of the details. I generally listen to books at like 1.7 speed for these. I'm like at 1.25 to 1.4. Like I have to be a lot slower, which doesn't seem like a lot, but it's, it's a big difference. And I re-listen to chapters all the time because I'm usually listening while I'm commuting or like doing work around the house. And I'll realize like, uh okay i need to go back like 20 minutes i don't know what's going on anymore so maybe that's why it's the the repetition like subconsciously i've heard it and then i have to listen to it again actively and mm. it helps a bit i don't know mm. okay so uh the, the crocus absolar the cutter absolar thing we kind of agree was maybe a little out of place not as important um one thing that i struggled with for most of the book until the end was the whole troll singar and on rack the Tlanai Mas plot line and up until the end at the end it finally kicked it's like okay you know this is why this is significant but as they were trudging along through the different warrens and meeting up with the uh Tiste what were they the uh Laosian right oh the, yeah 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 having those little conflicts I was like who are these guys what are they I, I just kind of struggled to to place them as much by the end Okay, I get it, but they were they were the slog for me. They, they were probably the part that I least enjoyed about this book, at least. They had some fun moments, and then yeah, it was just a lot. Like okay, new characters. They were they the ones who once they escaped from where they were, they cross paths with Carsa uh, after he forges his sword. Well, right at they don't. They don't see him, right? Like he leaves and then oh, they, they come in yeah. right afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that yeah. was fun. Like the, mm-hmm. those little moments. Um, yeah. Or when Carso runs into Kari and then Mapo for a second. That was fun. Yeah. Yeah, I loved, uh, you kind of touched on this earlier, but I loved the little nods to the stories that we've heard before in the beginning, like with Ikarium and uh, Talani Mass and, yeah and just like they like it helps expand and build the world while giving you some familiar stuff this one Mm -hmm. is totally unfamiliar and it seemed i just remembered it right now because it didn't really follow up to it but the uh fork girl assail is that how you is that her name the one that they free yeah or that 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 carsa frees at the beginning yeah and then she uh like maims one of his companions Yeah, yeah yeah That was cool. Just like, oh, there's this like ancient creature that's trapped. And like, that just, I don't know. Carsa himself alone is such 
a cool character and he it's it's another moment of uh malazan where i'm like uh steven erickson makes me want to become a better DD player i create cooler characters because <laughs> they're so cool and that comboed with oh we just found this like ancient creature pinned at the bottom of this uh was it a well or a cave i don't know i was just under like a huge rock yeah just, but wasn't it like down i don't remember um anyways that just seemed like such a DD moment like roll a perception check okay uh-huh. you see this person pinned so what are you gonna do <laughs> you know who uh you know who carsa kind of reminds me of um and maybe you guys will agree or disagree um but he kind of reminds me of like jorg of ancra because you know he's he's relatively what, what series is that yeah jake doesn't even jake doesn't have a chance to agree or disagree because the broken know. empire uh, by um, mark, mark mark lawrence mark lawrence's first trilogy um just just because uh jorg and karsa both think they know the world so much and they're they're really just you know, like children essentially kind of fumbling their way through it and they have like some early victories and they're like oh yeah i'm the best like i'm gonna i'm i'm i've got like the whole world figured out and then you know shortly thereafter they find basically they don't they don't really know what they're talking about and the world is so different from the way that they think it is and they kind of they have some growing to do they do jorg never loses that arrogance to him arsa definitely starts to a bit well it's like i don't know if he loses through the through through the medium part through through the middle of his story that we've seen thus far he seems to come to more of an understanding of, you know, these are the larger forces at play and I, I am more insignificant. And then towards the end of his story, he's like, actually, I'm pretty awesome. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I don't think the arrogance really goes away. I think he just realizes, well, like, I think his arrogance is based in, I am the coolest person and the best person. And what changes is he thinks he understands the world and he slowly starts to realize, okay, I don't know everything. He's able to take advice from his friends, his like frenemy who accompanies them a little better, but he still like, he still thinks he's the coolest and the best around, like, regardless, like he doesn't ever stop to think like, Oh, maybe I was like, maybe I should, uh, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like he does change some ways. Like he starts to respect his father more. And he recognizes that he's not, maybe what he's trying to do isn't what he wants. And maybe he's being manipulated a bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, yeah. It's not like growth, like, okay, now I'm, I realized that was wrong. I should change. And now I have a more humble mindset. It's just like, oh, that was, that is not what I want anymore. This is what I want now. It was really cool to see him challenge his, his gods who had been guiding him the whole time. Yeah. Yeah, and even uh, kill one, right? Yeah, I do. I do think he, but he gen, he genuinely learned to care for others, not just himself. I feel like there was some genuine growth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, I I agree. I think there is genuine growth. It's just interesting because you'd expect. I feel like he grew more than you think he grew, but also he grew less than you think because he's still that arrogant, like like how the crippled god wants him to become his like uh-huh his knight or 
Would that was that going to be the title? I don't know. Yeah, I think he was supposed to be the knight. Yeah, and he's just like I. He's like, I'm not going to be your knight. But then I, I feel like when the book ended, I'm still wondering like, is he still being his knight? Like, does he? Yeah. It yeah. seems like he's still playing into that. Like, I don't think the crippled god is like, oh no, he's not doing my bidding. He's like, cool, like more chaos, more suffering. I hear he grows more as the series goes on, but I was really intrigued by how realistic his growth was in this and that he definitely like learned and changed and grew, but he is still like, like fundamentally Carsa. Yeah. He's, he's adapted maybe is a better, is a better way to say it. Mm. He's kind of adapted himself to how the world has changed, but he's still fundamentally like very arrogant and a killing machine. He had some really cool moments of like honor like where like the slave guy who helps him the the Torvald uh, Nam yeah yeah uh-huh. who's like Ralik Nam's probably second cousin or something some yeah relation some distant type relation yeah um him and then who's the guy I think that was him I feel like there's another guy like there's well, a couple instances well at the where- end at the end Laoman like frees him from the prison and they go off yeah. into the desert together yeah yeah Laoman that was the other one yeah and then yeah um and uh it's like he has this these moments of honor oh and when they're in that the other like broken warren or ever with all the sharks oh yeah that was a great part <laughs> they were like the shark was attacking someone that he said he would defend or something like that and so he like brutally murders the shark so like like the guy was already dead like the shark had yeah already i think it him. was just one of uh stilgar was that the slave master's just like one of his cronies, wasn't it? It might have been, but it was like the shark had clearly killed the guy, but I don't know, but he felt like his honor demanded that he then yeah. like destroy the shark. Like he had these cool moments of honor, but his honor is so twisted that like Stilgar, like what he does to Stilgar, like he's like, I promised I would like make him suffer and like Stilgar very much suffers the rest of the book. And then I think at the end, doesn't he realize, like, I probably should have done that. Probably should have just killed him right from the uh, beginning. Um, I, don't I feel like I feel like he does come to that realization. Maybe I'm maybe I'm making that up. I thought I remembered that. He yeah. Might. yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, well, he cuts off his hands. Or do you mean at, after at that? The very end, well, yeah. when he kills him, when he finally does actually kill him at the but was that like, oh, I should have done this or just like, uh, I had to kill him anyways, should have just done this sooner, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's hard to tell. Could, I guess it could have been either. <laughs> yeah. But you're right. His his character growth does seem very human. Where yeah. like we as humans, when we when we grow up and realize there's more to the world than just ourselves and we have to like become more altruistic and look out for others and stuff, it's not like a switch suddenly flips and we're like, oh, now I'm like super benevolent and I don't care about myself ever. And like, I'm going to be this amazing person. It's like, yeah, not really. Like you just kind of learn that, okay, I'm going to have to do this. I'm going to try to do it more often, but like, I'm still kind of a selfish person. And I don't know, depending on who you are, you go in different directions, but the way that he grew did seem pretty real. Yeah. Like just the fact that like he, he butted heads with, I can't remember the name of his buddy that like um, they were interested in the same woman. Uh-huh. um it's like Bearloth or Bearloth yeah started with the b he just seemingly like shot down everything that guy said but then when there are moments where clearly Bearloth's like 
philosophy towards the world was like showing to be beneficial. Like he was, he was humble enough to be like, oh yeah, you were right. Like, this is a good point, Mm -hmm. but still not saying like I was wrong, but just, oh yes, this is, this is true. You know, (laughs) like, like he was still able to remember these things and not just completely like dismiss them and only focus on what he wants, but he wasn't able to like adequately uh, admit his fault all the time. And when he needed a companion it, for what, I mean, I didn't read it as Baraloth was still actually influencing, but like more just like, I thought it was more just like his memories of him. I, I don't actually, know. I'm, I, I'm not really sure what was going on there, yeah. but he, he chose to like incorporate him into yeah, it, uh, you know, take him under advisement in whatever, in yeah. whatever capacity that actually was. He like he was kind of like in his sword, right? Yeah, that, I thought he like put him in the sword. Hmm. And like, but how did he? He doesn't have the ability to do that, does he? He was still like, well, Haboric had told him earlier that like he was still surrounded by like the spirits of those he had slain, right? Like in uh dead house gates and so the carving of his stone forest kind of like was a conduit or something maybe and like he talked like before that point he would talk like you're saying like were these just memories of his friends like still talking to him um i took it as at that point that they were like not haunting him but i don't know maybe they weren't maybe that wasn't their actual like essence but but yeah he was able to like he he had this kind of facade of like, I don't listen to anything, but he really did. Like he was able to recall and recognize like the wisdom of it later on. He had a lot of really cool moments. Carsa. I mean, that wasn't even his whole, not even his whole story. So he goes, he, yeah. he, you mentioned he kills one of his gods, quote unquote, who really were just the Talani mass, which that was a cool. Or were they actually I don't remember who was before or after the ritual. Like, were they just regular Amas or Talan? Uh, I, no, I think they were Talon, but they were un. Oh, right, they were undead because un- he killed the one, but it was like still alive. But they were unbounded, right? Yeah, he did. He didn't kill it, but he basically did what Onrak yeah. was afraid of, right? Like where you just, like you get to a point where you're useless and you have to be like released right. or whatever, right? But I thought that was a cool, again, a cool world building twist where they like the twist is that there's something you didn't know they were, but what they end up being is something you're familiar with in a different way that was really well done in my yeah. opinion yeah and then he gets a school horse at the end yeah talks to the does he talk to the tree lady or just Icarium? do they both they both do i don't remember what was going on with that tree lady i don't know i feel like like she's like part of an azath house or something like that that was there was that yeah interpretation of it. yeah yeah there, there was that and somehow that i think was related to what the crippled god was trying to do yeah he wanted he wanted the uh he wanted access i don't it's hard to it's hard to remember like what is something that was actually written and like explicitly stated to me and what Mm -hmm. was i'm reading this and trying to understand what's going on and so i'm making these connections that could be right or completely wrong so (laughs) i i remember thinking that's what it was but i don't know if that is um what i was led to believe or just misunderstood i mean in order to appreciate these books you have to try to do that otherwise you're going to read through and you're going to be like what just happened like this you think this book is so poorly structured none of it makes any sense and it's yeah he also gets the cool horse and that's basically i believe that's where he ends off right 
Well, and then he and then he sh- comes at the very end and. Oh yeah, he puts the skull of the Talanamas that he killed, like next to the the uh, the desert that's not filling up with water, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and then I was gonna say that he goes back and kills everyone that he said he's. Oh yeah, 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 right, right. <laughs> he did, yeah, forgot about the killing spree. Yeah, all these people. He's like, I'm gonna kill you. The well, he didn't get Haboric. He wasn't able to get Haboric, who he wanted to kill. But I mean, maybe that was ill-advised. Haboric probably didn't deserve to die. Haboric definitely didn't deserve to die. I don't know if he would have been able to kill Haboric as a priest of war. I really liked what happened there. That's like those connections. That's another cool connection back to a previous book. Covian, right? Because yeah, the- Co- Covian was a destriant of, of Fenner. Um, yeah. And Fenner is now replaced by Treach. Uh-huh. And who's the new destrian of Treach but Hiboric? Yeah. So it's kind of like a little, I don't, I mean, he's essentially the new Ecovian, right? Yeah, under a different, different god. And I don't really know like what that entails. Like they're both, they were both gods of war, right? Yeah. So I don't really know how different will their abilities and like purposes be. Like, does being a, is it kind of like a uh, a vessel in the Cosmere where your your will will just be kind of bent towards that, or is it okay? I'm going to do things my way as the new god of war. Seems to be a little bit different because I didn't see anybody growing boar hair um, in a <laughs> snout when Fanor was in charge, but now everyone's got tiger uh, stripes and claws and eyes. <laughs> Yeah. I guess depending on the goddess that you're serving, like like Felicin is totally taken over by the will like, of, yeah. of the whirlwind goddess as Shaikh. Well, that's a little different too, because she was like the new incarnation of Shaikh, not just a follower, you know? So there's a little more, little more takeover there. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I mean, Shaikh is not the god, the goddess herself. Shaikh is like, the vessel leader of you know whatever the whirlwind goddess is doing yeah i guess i was ref- i i would i was calling the whirlwind goddess shaikh but i'm not i'm just not realizing well that, that that's a not... little confusing because yeah shaikh is sometimes referred to as like i feel like not everyone realizes there is a difference yeah and i saw something that's even speculated that maybe shaikh was the original name of this emas uh that we don't know the name of uh-huh. That was, you know, that's killed at the very end. And and so just to clarify, uh, so she was on Rax, uh, like betrothed. I don't know if they're actually married, but then he uh-huh. wanted to be with someone else and broke this vow and this jealous rage. So she, the one that he broke it for was Kilava. Kilava, yeah. Not to be confused with the Pokemon Quilava. Quilava, yeah. Yeah, Quilava, yeah. Uh, this was that's like the panther lady from the from memories of ice right sister yeah. of on, onos tulan yeah yes yeah, yeah tool's sister yeah. yeah yeah but then so shaikh we'll call her um i can't remember how, i don't know if it says how she died but she ends up like turning into this like gets green with jealous rage and uh vengeance and somehow like merges with this broken aspect of the Warren of Shadow, right? And like, because 
Oh, they, they, that's what happened because she started going crazy. They, the rest of the Talana mass like imprisoned her in Raraku, right? And then yeah. there was that, the broken Warren there already. Plus like, I feel like she was co-opting some other like energy or manifestation as well. I think somehow. she was like taking energy from like her followers. Well, at that later on, but I think, mm. I think she was co-opting these prophecies of the seven cities to become more than more than what the prophecies originally talked about. I could be wrong on that. That was my interpretation. Like she was kind of, kind of like, uh, like this power was there and I'm taking it over and becoming a new manifestation of it with my own will. I could be wrong on that, but that was could. my, that was my interpretation yeah. of it. it. That works for me. <laughs> and the crippled God wanted it to, he wanted to have that part of the Warren of shadow. That's what you guys were explaining to me. Yeah. I mean, it seemed like he was just trying to get a footing. So anyway, right. Cause this, he does this is his plan. I'm still really confused. Uh, it's funny. Cause we talked about um, in our world building episode, I'd like to write a book with a similar like magic vibe and God's vibe as Malazan, mm, but yeah. I still have like no idea how it really works in Malazan, but does the crippled God, it doesn't, it can give power to people because he's a God, but he doesn't have a Warren right at this point. Or does he? I think use, he might use the Warren of Chaos. But it's not his own. I don't know. Maybe it is. And but he wanted to get part like part ownership of the Warren of Shadow for just to like kind of gain more mm. power. Or was there something specific about Shadow? Know. Did it have to do with the throne that the? I mean, the crippled God seems like crippled God seems like more of an exception to the previous pattern of. So the the magic system here, they have the holds, which are like back in the day, a little bit more, what more primal. Primi- prime, yeah, primal forces. And then they were organized into the different houses. And are there, is there a one-to-one connection with the Warrens and the houses? And the crippled God is kind of like trying to bust in on the scene. It's not like every God has its own house, like Benner. Or, or not every god has his own warren. Fenner doesn't have his own warren separate than Treach or any of the other gods of war. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's like gods' houses and warrens are all like sources of power. Does every house have a god at the at the head? Uh, no, there's not like a head of the house of light, right? Well, or, would it or... not be Father Light? Yeah, I think. Oh, I guess that we haven't seen yet. Well, they've mentioned them so far, like Mother Dark, Father Light. Oh, that's right. Yeah, right. Anyways, yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to... Yeah, yeah. Before we we just like throw out a bunch of stuff, we have no idea what's going on. Yeah, keep on going. (laughs) They they talk about, like you learn about the throne that's in shadow, not to be confused with the person shadow throne, (laughs) but there is a throne in the Warren of Shadow that... That's super important. At this point, we know it's super important and, and two groups are going to, so Absalar and Cutter are like wanting to defend it as our, yeah. as our troll and Onrak, they're all Onrak, headed, yeah. headed there, right? And you hear from Onrak and company that with that throne, you can like really abuse the power of the Emats, but no one has done it yet, right? Or I guess Shadow Throne and Cotillion never did that, but they... They didn't abuse it. That, 
no, that's how he was able to use the Amas for the Malazan Empire originally. Well, I thought I thought it was because he claimed the throne, he could use them. He like ordered them about, but I thought there was like something else he could do, like in a way to like abuse their power that he never actually did. Is that just me misremembering, mm-hmm. Ryan? Um, I don't. I honestly don't know. Okay. Um, but it's connected to the mass. Definitely lets you can like command them. But I thought there was like even uh-huh. more power that could be done that he just never did. I don't know. Yeah. So so, anyways, that throne is that why? Do we think that's why the crippled god wanted to get a hold of the Warren of Shadow, or just to destabilize? Seems like something that I see. The crippled god seems like an entity that has a lot of plans, a lot of yeah, you know, lot, lots of lots of things in the fire here. And uh, when when one doesn't work, he's they're just going to try another it. one. Yeah, it's like one doesn't work, but it causes a lot of pain and suffering, and so yeah, more possibilities. Cool yeah, I think he wants the power from the throne of shadow. Okay, but. That was, I think he, I think he'd be okay with it. I don't think that's his only plan. Yeah, yeah, but that was like part of his main plan in this book. I think we kind of talked about Habork. Habork was way cool. It was cool to see him like not only like the change of gods, but also like realizing new abilities that come with it. We learned more about what that jade <laughs> statue did, but by learning more, I was more confused about what the jade statue did. Yeah, same. So so was I yeah um but it was cool to see how it connected like like that moment kind of caused treach to not usurp but just like take over the the role of uh god of war right before we have to end i want to talk about um i I feel like this is how our malazan episodes usually go it's like there's just so much content we only really scratch the surface in our episodes there's it's just impossible to go through and a lot of it's probably somewhat accurate some of it's maybe entirely inaccurate so let us know if you're a big fan of the series what we're getting wrong do it nicely we're fans of the series not experts at all we're just trying yeah yeah we like we like the we like the world we like the characters but we're there are people who are much more knowledgeable than us but before we end i'm not sure how much more time we have i want to talk about the showdown between fellas and Shaikh and um sure the bar yeah, yeah. got to be talked about i mean uh, we had i had different interpretation a different interpretation than you Stephen. it seemed to me like at the end after they slay Shaikh um and and Felison kind of comes to her her uh senses she's like almost happy to see tavor like whereas before she was you know dead set on vengeance against her now she was kind of like, you know, raising her hand or like mm-hmm. moving her hand to kind of greet her sister. But Tavora thought she was going to her sword or whatever. And so she acted to in her in self-defense. So you thought she came to some sort of forgiveness yeah. for her? I don't know if she fully forgave, but I, I definitely read that the same way that she wasn't she wasn't going to attack Tavora in that moment. And that Tavora just being completely oblivious you know to what's going on um attacked her i mean based off their backgrounds i'm sure she would not have tried to attack her anyway because she would have known she would surely lose right well if she had shaikh's power then i think she could have 
taken on Tavora easily. Yeah, well, I mean, but she knew that she didn't have the power. Yeah, I mean, I guess right at the I end. I guess it's hard to say what exactly her mental state was as she was, like, coming out of this possession. What were you thinking? What was your interpretation, Stephen? I think I probably wasn't thinking that she was as forgiving. She was more, I don't know, just trying to get her bearings, like, oh, there's my sister. I don't like my sister after all of these years of resentment and she basically sold me out, you know, plenty of reasons not to, I guess we didn't see enough of Felison to make me think that she had come to this forgiveness or um, desire to have some recompense there. But a lot of the stuff that we see in the books are not, you know, we don't, we don't see inside the characters' heads. We more see like their actions and we have to interpret what's going on. So yeah. it could be. I guess I would want to reread the part where she's sitting in Haborik's tent when Shaikh's power had had to leave her because I think they have kind of like a personal character type conversation then. Mm-hmm. So I would want to reread that to answer yeah. this question. Yeah, that was cool that he could set up that like that little moment to talk to the real Felison. What do you, how do you guys feel about the end of Felison? I thought it was really tragic. It made for really great drama. I assume Tavora at some point is going to realize what happened. Um, but just the the dramatic irony there of her not realizing that it's Felicin and then not realizing that like she was only Felicin at that moment and before like she was possessed and and like the I do think without I think without uh, the whirlwind goddess influence she would it would have been easier for her to come to reason about Tavora maybe not completely forgive her but not have this like vengeful desire mm-hmm. because I feel like you saw that in Dead House Gates when uh, the Talon guy who was with them Bowden Bowden when he first tells her like hey like Tavora sent me to protect you and save you like Tavora's or Felicity's like no I don't I don't want anything to do with her saving me yeah and like I feel like that was like a reaction of like anger at the situation like anger at Tavora for like you're trying to save me by making me going through like the worst experience ever but also I think like anger at herself for hating Tavora so much like that idea of like no I want to hate Tavora I still want this to be a thing I don't know I, I feel like I saw a little bit of a crack there that her confidence and her hate towards Tavora was shaken there. So I think without the whirlwind goddess's influence, she would have been, it would have been easier for her to come to that uh, kind of those turns, but I don't know if she would have fully mm-hmm. forgiven her. I, I mean, I, I sort of interpreted it a bit differently. I, I felt like maybe it was Felicin like thinking she's like very brittle, you know, she thinks this whole time that she can fend for herself. She doesn't need other people's help. Like yeah. when she's, trapped on the Odotero Island, you know, she thinks she's doing she's all this them. stuff. She's saving Haboric and Bo- yeah. Bowden by like selling her body to that, that one guy. And, and really it's like, they're kind of, they like figure out how to escape and she's not really, I mean, she helps in her own way, but it, it's not super helpful. And, and mm-hmm. it's, it's not in reality, very helpful. And then later on, she can't admit to herself that she, like would need Tavora's help and yeah and so she's like I don't I don't want 
my sister's help because she wants to think that she can do it all herself. And I, I think she's just like a really tragic character that has a tragic ending because like at the end of the book, she's killed by her sister who I think genuinely cares for her and loves her, but just doesn't know who yeah. she is. It's a little surprising to me that the the plot didn't take it to the point where Tavora realized who Felicin was. I feel like that would have really kind of like locked in things into a tighter arc and had a pretty big payoff for the reader. I don't know. Like, I feel like that was, yeah, it would have been like more epic than it's like sister versus sister. And like, you're kind of building towards that. But I think- Well, no, no, but after, after she kills her. Oh, finding out after? Yeah. Um, I think she's going to find out at some point. It's almost more tragic though, that Felicin dies by her sister in like Mm -hmm. obscurity. Her sister doesn't even know. Yeah. Yeah. There's that element to it. I mean, I'm sure it's intentional and there's, yeah, that that is probably like you say, Ryan, that, that adds to it, but it's not as like Shakespearean tragic. Uh, I feel like it is because it's like right before the spies could get back and let her know, you know? Well, okay. in In that element. And like the dramatic irony, but yeah, you think there'd be more of a, like she would know at the end. I, I think it's like it, it makes it stronger the fact that she doesn't i agree with ryan but i do think at least in this moment i do think at some point she's going to realize what happened i could be wrong i don't even know like maybe she doesn't show up ever again <laughs> in this series but i don't understand how i i saw a lot of hate for felicin when i was reading dead house gates and i could i didn't really get it then i could kind of understand why like they thought she was annoying but now seeing her full arc like I don't know why you like how could you not have anything but pity for her I mean I think reading through Dead House Gates she is like you said she's very obnoxious and she thinks that she's doing she's everything not, herself and I wouldn't say obnoxious like she's just broken trying to like trying to survive you know like she's just in survival mode the whole time she's i mean maybe not like obnoxious but she she's like definitely abrasive to like everybody around her who's right who are like trying to help her and she's just like you know other characters that are easier to just like okay i see this person's trying to help them and like she's not accepting their help like that can be frustrating from as a reader right but at the same time there is a big disconnect in communication. Like if Bowden and Haborik had communicated with her sooner, like if they had trusted her enough to like communicate their plans from the beginning, then, you know, so much of that could have been avoided. Yeah, true. true. I don't know that Bellison was necessarily deserving of the trust in the beginning. Things didn't, she, I don't feel like she was like rude or abrasive until after like, I could be misremembering it, but it didn't seem like she was that way until after she'd gone through a lot. I mean, there were a lot of circumstances as well that made it hard for that like open line of communication because if things had gone, if too much information had been shared and things had gone south, like I think there were reasons why it wasn't just like, it wasn't wheel of time level of miscommunication where- Well, I'm just like, they obviously knew, like they could tell, like they should have been able to tell- I don't know. Maybe I need to reread that. It seems like they should have been able to tell what she was doing was to try to like make the best out of the situation. And if they'd be like, Hey, like, you don't need to do this. We have a plan to get us out of here. Like you don't, 
even even if they didn't realize she was doing it to try to help them as well, just for herself. Like, you don't need to do this. Like, things are going to work out. All right. To close, I have one moment that I really liked and one thing that I didn't like as much. So my favorite part of the book, for whatever reason, was this one chapter where they do the scorpion fight. And then after the the scorpion fight, they go off and they fight. They start like it's like the first engagement of the actual war. I just loved the like small story of the scorpion fight and the trickery involved. And then, and from that like small, you know, intimate story to the larger um, and it kind of paralleled the way that the fight unfolded. I really enjoyed that. Um, I know it was kind of in the midst of this like slow build towards the war towards the eventual big battle, which did kind of drag a bit, but I thought that was really well done. Any comments on that? <laughs> I really liked it. It was cool. I was trying to think like, like I knew there was some trickery about to happen, you know, like you could tell there was like right, there was like some a, hidden plan, uh-huh. but uh, I was like trying to figure out what it was, but that was, yeah. that was good. The thing that I didn't like as much was just the title because I was always, ex- I was expecting the house of change to be more involved because I thought it was really cool and memories of ice. Like, Oh, there's this, well, first realizing that the crippled God was a big thing and he was going to try to form his own house and, and Perrin saying like, well, I'm not sure if I should, if I should legitimize it or not, because if I do, then he'll be forced to hold to the rules. Like all of this stuff going into this big conflict, which I, which I thought would be picking up, would, uh, you know, picking up more steam. So I going to this one's like, okay, this one's called the house of chains. There's going to be some big payoff for this. And I realized that, you know, it was really an effort of the crippled God to form the house of chains. Yeah. More so that didn't really work out the way that he wanted it to, but I w- maybe I was just expecting more with that, with that title, I was expecting more uh, progress towards the actual house of chains yeah. rather than a big misstep for the house of chains. I wonder how big of a misstep it was though. I don't, I mean, I he mean, definitely had plans that he wanted to have happen that didn't work out. Yeah, like Bidithal, I feel like that was a big, that was the biggest misstep. I still think the Karsa thing is like good enough. Yeah, sure. TBD, TBD. Although I'd be interested to see how much of Karsa like ends up playing into the crippled god's hands or not. Karsa is definitely, yeah, Karsa is probably the best part of this book. The establishment of his character. We talk the most about him. He seemed to interest all of us the most. I think he's the best part. Yeah, I really liked him. I again, I like what happened with Aboric. I love the chapter with Loric where you finally get his POV and you go into, I don't remember, he he goes into another realm too. People are always just popping in and out of other other yeah. uh, planes of existence. And then this huge dragon come, he's like, oh hey dad, like <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, I don't even know. What was the I don't dragon's know to make name it that much? It's Ostrich. 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 Okay. I'm going to have to go. I took a pause of Midnight Tides to, oh. uh, to read the Alloy of Law stuff to get caught up for our second uh, book of that one. Mm-hmm. I need to go and see if Ostrich has been mentioned in that book. Again. He's been mentioned enough times where I'd seen the name pop up yeah. and I searched it and I know, I knew, I knew that was risky, but I was prepared to take the risk because I just wanted to know what this was. And I don't think I had anything spoiled because the good thing about the Malazan wiki is it does separate out into, it separates by book. So, you know, like, okay, I can't read any further. I'm risking spoilers. Yeah. It's like, this is what happens with this character in this book. Yeah. And the summary is 
is worded in a way that doesn't reveal like alive or dead or they just do the brief summary and then they say okay here's what happens in each book that's that's a great way to do yeah um but i love that scene and then they see the like the humongous uh hounds of shadow which did they have a name i can't remember if they did Dem- is demer yes they do have names demo dogs <laughs> Dem- demogorgon demi dogs yes yeah, stranger instead things. of house instead of hounds of shadow these are like the wargs of shadow they're huge um that was cool and then he befriend i could be misremembering this again but he befriends another like demon creature right like one of the ape-like ones or was that kalam that's kalam no 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 Lorik does Lorik gets a familiar because kalam befriended one in uh dead house gates an aptorian an aptorian yeah Mm -hmm. apt and then this one was more of a monkey looking one right a bokarala no it was it was for sure some kind of demon thing i know yeah I don't it remember was, what the description was, but it's definitely a demon. He, he, he helps uh he helps a Boric at times and he's like mm-hmm. got this weird like he's like, Are we friends or am I gonna eat you? Or something like that to Boric. And he's like, Oh, okay, we're friends. Or something. Like it was yeah, kind yeah. of comedic really. Oh no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'd say I was surprised that like I feel like the content level of this one really um shot up and not like again, not super explicit, but like hearing about Felice and like prostituting herself was hard in Deadhouse Gates. And then in this one with like Bidithal and his horrible person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just got a lot heavier than, uh, than I think the earlier books, but I think it was done well. Yeah. I agree. That was, that was definitely hard to read. Ryan, any closing remarks on uh, House of Chains for you? How do we do on our assessments? How, how did it, so you've read the whole series. Do you remember how this one stacks up for you? Yeah, I, so I, I don't remember exactly. I mean, I feel like my favorites were probably like Toll the Hounds and Memories of Ice. Those are just have a lot of epic, just epic moments in them. I, I do remember liking this one quite a bit just because of the introduction of Karsa. And um, he's so I, cool. He, he's really cool. And, you know, tr- he's like trying to like make his own way in the world and you know throw off the the chains i guess that that he's been bound with and nice yeah i mean it is a more apt title than we really had to think about that Uh one Uh i like the part where he slays the the hounds of darkness oh that's what they are they're hounds of darkness they are yeah instead of hounds of shadow they're called uh daragoth i think they are I mean that that I think shows you just how uh, strong Cars is getting to be, and I, he's a cool character. I, I think I remember really liking the book. I don't know that I remember it well enough that I could give it like a, a definitive score out of ten, but I liked it. So it sounds like this is kind of mid tier for you. Yeah, I'd probably say it's mid tier. But then when I try and think of like what's lower tier for me and and this series i i couldn't really tell you i liked it better than dead house gates honestly maybe i'd like dead house gates more if i reread it with like the context i have now yeah but i felt like dead house gates i was like confused and kind of like just like not sure what was happening for the majority of the book until there's a really cool chain of dogs moment whereas this one i felt like had a lot had a, a better pacing for me 
Can I um, just say a correction to my earlier comment when I was talking about um, this being Steven Erickson's book that he was supposed to write earlier, but lost the manuscript. That was oh, yeah. actually Memories of Ice. He was he was going to that was going to be the second book, um, gotcha. not Dead House Gates. And he did lose. Um, oh, yeah. You know, I think I think we talked about this. in our. I, I think we did. Ice. Yeah. I think we did. It's just embarrassing that we didn't remember <laughs> what we talked about. So that it makes... says he'd, he'd written about 300 pages of the new book and they were lost to a computer failure. So at that point he was, I think, just like, I'm, I'm going to move on and write Dead House Gates instead of Memories of Ice. And, and so I think, yeah, this, so I was, I was wrong in the beginning. That makes sense. Um, for why kind of the series follows the structure it does so far. Like if you're planning on writing this continuous story and then you got a bump in the road and then, so you pivot and do like, you know, the different story. And then you're kind of like, well, mm -hmm. now I'm not beholden to any, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> any sort yeah. of order that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The computer failure is what we have to owe to this, uh, to the complexity of the series. Man, that would kill me. I wonder if to this day, he's like, there, like if there's parts of that original manuscript he's like man i wish i still had that because i knew there was like a better part in there than what i was able to rewrite yeah that would kill me all right so uh on to midnight tides we'll see when we get to that uh but do we want to try to commit committing to a date actually helped me we didn't i didn't um actually finish <laughs> house of chains by the date that i committed to but i felt bad that i missed it so i read faster I was still about a month past the commit date. So end of July, yeah. I have, I'm halfway through it. Man, that's coming up fast. It's mid-June right now. <laughs> I haven't even started. I feel like end of July is not realistic for me if I'm going to listen okay. and, and if I'm going to read and not listen. So, so what would be realistic for you, Stephen? Let's say mid-July. Oh, mid-July instead of end of July. Yeah. yeah. Give me what? two two more weeks. I yeah. Wait. I don't think you realize what you just said. <laughs> Mid, you mean middle of August? Oh, middle of August. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're different months. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah. Mid-August. August. Yeah. Okay, cool. Wow, your negotiation's really good. <laughs> Dang, that puts me in a bit of a pickle. I don't know if I should just finish it while I'm halfway through it or put it on pause to finish around the same time. We'll see. Yeah, okay, yeah, you... Stay tuned and yeah. witness. <laughs> All right, we got to end on that. That was good. That was good, Jake. <laughs>